Now, fast forward to millennia, uh, and the reality is we live in a culture that is biblically illiterate. It's biblically illiterate. I came across this quote. Apologies for the length of it, but I think it it is helpful. Uh, We'll come back to that in one second. Um, Here's the quote. It's written by a guy called Boyd Tonkin. Strange name, but uh, he's a a writer for The Independent. Um, And he wrote this. He wrote wrote an article where he was arguing that actually the King James Version of the Bible has been incredibly influential in shaping our modern English today. It has shaped lots of the phrases that we have, the terminology that we use, even introducing brand new words into our English language. Uh, But he finishes this article by writing this. For anyone, religious or not, who cares about the continuity of culture and understanding, Gordon Campbell let slip a remark to freeze the blood. A professor at Leicester University, he recalls when the name of Moses came up at a seminar I was leading, no one had any idea whom he might have been though a Muslim student eventually asked if he was the same person as Musa in the Quran, which he is. And then he concludes the whole article like this, let my people go, as the King James Bible has Moses tell Pharaoh. Today we need another kind of mosaic injunction or command. Let our people read. Let our people read. He's been shocked that actually... In our culture, a book that has shaped our laws, a book that has shaped our language, a book that has shaped in many ways our thinking, has been increasingly forgotten and ignored. Uh, And if you don't believe that that's true, uh, watch any quiz show on TV when the simplest Bible uh, question is asked to see the, the contestants usually really struggle to find the answer. I guess none of that's shocking. I guess we're aware that as a society we've moved away from the Bible. We are not literate in the Bible. We don't know what it it is about, what is in it. Um, But I guess what is all the more shocking is that those people who claim to believe that the Bible is God's word, who claim to be basing their lives on the Bible simply are not reading it. They're simply not reading it. Uh, And so I came across this latest study uh, by the Lifeway Research uh, Group in the States. And I know it's in the States and it's a little different over there, but generally uh, when America sneezes, we catch a cold. So it usually crosses the water, uh, these trends. Uh, This uh, research institute interviewed tens of thousands of church-going Christians. Uh, And they discovered that 45%, that's almost half, read the Bible at most only once a week. Um, 20%, that's one in five, would say they never read the Bible on their own. So they get the Bible read to them on Sunday or go to a midweek thing and get the Bible read to them, but never read it on their own. And only 11% of those interviewed could say they've read the Bible cover to cover. Now, 
I, I don't know. I have no idea what your practices are. Um, but I would guess, I would guess that actually those proportions are not that far away in this congregation right here. I would guess there's lots of people who love the Bible, who are fond of the Bible. You like, I like the Bible, and you like that I give you a bit of a TED talk on the Bible, and I geek out on it all week. Um, but that, that's really enough for you. Um, there's all sorts of reasons for why we don't read the Bible. It is long. It is complicated. It's dense. And you start to read it, and there's all these apparent contradictions. But hold on, the Bible said that, and then suddenly it says this. Why does that fit together? Uh, there's all sorts of controversial ideas in it, things that it seems to condone, things that it seems to um, condemn, that clash with what we believe in our culture. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why reading the Bible is, is difficult. Uh, and we're going to come back to the... I'm not going to answer any of those questions today. We're going to come back to some of those questions in March time, where we're going to do a whole series on this. We're going to call it, It Is Written. And we're going to look at questions surrounding the Bible. Uh, and we're going to get into some of these things. What I want to do this morning is simply want to ask and try to answer one question. Why read the Bible? Why read it? Why read the Bible? Um, And as you see, uh, if you've closed your Bible again, open it to what Paul says to his colleague, uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul gives us three reasons, three profound reasons why we should devote ourselves to reading the Bible. Um, Why should we read the Bible? Three reasons. Number one, because Scripture contains God's words of revelation. Scripture contains God's words of revelation. Um, We see that here, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, last week, if you were with us, to take a step back, um, Jennifer, can we go back to that first slide? Um, Last week, if you were with us, we considered how change happens for an individual. Uh, we are influenced and changed by the, the stories we hear uh, and believe, the habits we form, and the relationships we have. And if we're going to be changed, really changed, not just self-help around the edges, but changed from the inside out, we need to replace the stories that we hear, often the lies we're told, with first the teaching of Scripture, with Jesus' words, uh, as he is the climax of Scripture and the one who authenticated and taught the Bible. Uh, And so that is why it's important that we focus on the the role Scripture has uh, in our lives. And the first reason why Scripture is so important that we should devote ourselves to read it uh, is because they contain, this book contains God's words of revelation. It's God breathed, is Paul's terminology here. God breathed. Uh, even in English, we, we, we carry that. We talk about uh, if you want someone to keep a secret, don't breathe a word of it to anyone. Um, I don't know if you ever tried to talk while breathing in. Have you tried? You, you can't do it. Words are carried on your breath to another person. And so what Paul is saying here is that scripture, scripture is not so much a record of man's ideas about God, 
But Scripture, these holy, sacred writings, which is what Scripture means, uh, is actually God's words to men. It's not a record of God's or men's ideas about God. Uh, they contain God's words to us. Um, the, the word that's often used to describe what this, this characteristic of the Bible is the word inspired. God's word is, in, scripture is inspired. God inspired over 40 authors in all sorts of different places over something like 1,400 years uh, to write the words of scripture. Uh, but when I use the word inspired, I, I don't mean it in exactly the same way that we would ca- often use it in English today. I don't mean that God kind of stirred them up uh, into uh, an emotional frenzy. I don't mean that God just got their creative juices running. Um, I use it in the technical term in that God worked through human beings so that we have his word. Uh, here's a good definition I came across by uh, a New Testament uh, scholar, Tom Wright. He says, inspiration is a shorthand way of talking about the belief that, by his spirit, God guided the very different writers and editors so that the books they produced were the books that God intended his people to have. That's a pretty good definition of what we mean by inspiration. Uh, And Peter captures this very similar idea uh, in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 where he writes this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things. So, when Moses went up the mountain of Sinai, he did not start to make stuff up. He did not look down the mountain and see a whole bunch of people and think, we've got a lot of people here. We We need some rules quickly. Uh, hmm, how about thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. Oh, maybe we should give it a bit of more, more weight and authority. How about we write all this in the first person? And God said, thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. No, no, no. Uh, scripture was not written by a prophet's own imagination, for prophecy never had its source, its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, this is a quite a long quote, but I think this is a really helpful illustration uh, given by uh, a writer, pastor, uh, Andrew Wilson, in his little book, Unbreakable, uh, a little book on the Bible, which is really helpful. Consider a jazz musician who can play all sorts of different instruments. Nobody listening to Louis Armstrong would ask whether the music was being made by Louis or his trumpet. Everybody knows that the breath and the tune comes from Louis, but the instrument through which the breath passes in order to become audible is the trumpet. The Bible writers, if you like, are the instruments of revelation. A trumpet here, an oboe there a saxophone here, and they all make different sounds, but the musician, uh, the skilled artist who fills them all with his breath 
and ensures the tune is played correctly is the Holy Spirit. That's kind of how inspiration works. I think that's a pretty good illustration. And so God so orchestrated, so superintended, so was in control of the whole process of writing scripture. He used the education, the skill, the personality, uh, the experience of the biblical writers. Or lined everything up so that the words they wrote were the very words that God intended for us to have. And so I just want you to let that sink in just for a moment. Just let that sink in. That in this book, although it is, although it's literature written by real human beings at real time, it's all a little different. Each, each writer has a little bit of their own style and personality and circumstances and education all playing a part. Nevertheless, that when we open this book, when you open this book tomorrow morning or at night, whatever is your pattern, and you read it, you hear the voice of God speak to you. Isn't that an exciting thought? What we have here is nothing less uh, than the voice of God. 66 books through which God reveals himself. He reveals the truth about who he is. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm not like. This is God's words, God speaking to us. And this is really, really important. We could never work out what God was like on our own just by guessing uh, or just by examining the creation that he's made. We could never work it out. Uh, And increasingly, there's lots of faulty, incorrect, bad thinking uh, about God Uh, in our world today. So this is crucial for us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated the the message, paraphrase of the New Testament or in in some parts of the Bible, uh, Old Testament Bible as well, wrote this. God and his ways are not what most of us think. Most of what we are told about God and his ways by our friends on the street or read about him in the pages or in the papers, or view on television, or think up on our own, uh, is simply wrong. Maybe not dead wrong, but wrong enough to mess up the way we live. And this book, the Bible, is precisely a revelation, a revealing of what we could never figure out on our own. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we get our thinking straight about God? Why is it crucial? Uh, It's crucial for us as Christians because as famously uh, A.W. Tozer said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. In other words, we tend to become like what we think God is like. This is not just abstract theory. This will, what we think about God will affect the shape and behavior of our lives. And so the ISIS terrorist who decapitates the infidel, the prosperity gospel preacher who gets out of his Humvee after having drinks with Kanye West, um, the partner 
of uh, a spouse who has been chronically ill for years but yet remains faithful and servant-hearted through it all. The business tycoon who isn't caught up in materialism but starts to give away huge amounts of what they earn personally. All of those people behave the way they do because of their understanding of who God is. This is why this is crucial that we get this straight. What we need, what we need if we're to live wisely, to live God's way in God's world, we need a correct understanding of who God really is, what he's like, what he loves, what he hates, what his plans and purposes are. We need God's words of revelation. We need scripture. But Paul doesn't stop there. Uh, The first reason then that we should devote ourselves to reading the Bible is because it contains God's words of revelation. But second, it contains wise words of salvation. Wise words of salvation. Uh, As you read, uh, open up the Bible and start to read it. Uh, Not only does the Bible tell you what God is like, uh, it holds up a mirror for us and tells us what we are like. Uh, And so as you open up the first pages of the Bible, you discover that we are not just the result of a glorious cosmic accident uh, in the history of the cosmos. Uh, We are not here by a fluke. We are here by God's deliberate design. We are created in his image. And that means whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, every single one of us has got dignity and value and worth and beauty. That's who we are. And yet keep reading. Keep reading in the story. What else does it tell us about us? The story of the true story of the Bible. Well, it tells us that because of our selfishness and pride, we have become corrupt and twisted uh, in the way that we live. We have become guilty of foolishness Uh, and disobedience and we've all become deceived Uh, we've all become like spoilt children who take all of God's good gifts without a word of thanks uh, and often ignoring the giver altogether we've become as Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 1 we've become like stupid animals that bite the hand that feeds us Uh, we have all become foolish and disobedient Uh, and self-deceived and the reality is then because of our behavior none of us none of us deserves God's kindness in fact what we deserve is to be cut off from God and all of his good gifts forever that's what we would deserve for the way that we've treated him for the way we've abused other people for the way that we've lived selfishly in his world and yet wonderfully inexplicably Amazingly, God has launched a rescue operation for us through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. And what the Bible serves to do is, in good Northern Ireland terminology, serves to make us wise up. Wise up to our own need and to see the goodness of God 
it's a, it's a lovely story, I think I've told it before, uh, of a farmer, uh, an Irish farmer in the west of Ireland, whose farm, uh, part of it was quite a mountainous area, and uh, he, had to, he kept sheep. Uh, and he was out counting the sheep one day, and he realized one was missing, and then he heard the bleating. And it turned out a foolish sheep had tried to reach for a, a bit of grass just too far over the ledge uh, and fell over uh, the edge of a cliff onto a ledge below and when the farmer looked over the edge and tried to reach down to the sheep, it, it panicked and it started to scramble and he was afraid it would, it would fall to its death. And so he left it alone. He came back the next day. He looked over the edge. He tried to reach down and rescue the sheep. But again, it started to panic and it scrambled and he left it. Third day, he came back. He looked over and saw that the sheep was looking up at him. And only then would it stay calm for him to reach down, grab it, and pull it up to safety. You see, the sheep had to wise up, had to wise up to realize it, couldn't, it, it was in danger, couldn't save itself. And this guy looking over the edge of the cliff was its only hope. The Bible serves a very similar purpose for us. It is there to help us understand who we are. Created in God's image, yet that image has been twisted and broken. And yet, wonderfully, God has launched a rescue operation. And like that sheep, we need to learn we're in danger. We cannot save ourselves. And yet we have a savior in the Lord Jesus. If we entrust ourselves to him. The Bible is there to help us wise up. Wise up to salvation. According to uh, Paul, Timothy uh, knew the scriptures from infancy and have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you understand that sentence, it will transform the way you read the Bible. If you truly get it, it'll transform the way you read the Bible. At the frontier, when we do dedications, we'll often give a little gift to, to the family. Uh, and it is a little book called the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And my secret desire, to be honest, is that all the parents read it, right? Because it's brilliant, right? And in the introduction uh, to that little um, children's Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes this. Again, forgive the long quote. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Often people think the Bible is a book of heroes. Showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, yes. But as you soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes. They get afraid. They run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is, most of all, a story. 
It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. Like, that's brilliant. It's exactly what the Bible is about. It is a story, a unified story that leads us to the rescuer, the Lord Jesus, the one who has come to save us. And so the Bible is not an encyclopedia of truth or a history book. It's not a book of rules and regulations or a collection of nice moral tales to inspire us. No, it's a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so if you read the Bible and your first question is to think, what do I need to do? Now, it's a good question, but it's not the first question you should be asking. The first question you should be asking is, what does this tell me about Jesus? How does this point me to the need for Jesus or what Jesus will come to ultimately do? The Bible is all about him, and we'll come back to that uh, in, later on in March. And so if you are here this morning and you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, uh, if that's not where you're at just yet, but you're here and you're open and you're exploring, then actually, ironically, the best place to start with the Bible is not at the beginning. That's very counterintuitive advice because uh, every other book you want to start at the beginning. But actually, if it's a book all about Jesus, then where you see Jesus most clearly is in the four Gospels. And I would, I would recommend that that's where you start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the New Testament section of your Bible and read about him uh, and see his kindness and see his compassion, see his uh, sacrifice for lost and broken people. But perhaps you are a Christian, you've been a Christian, I guess it'll be most of us here, you've been a Christian for perhaps many years. And if you're honest, you've got a bit bogged down in the Bible. It's just a bit hard work. And perhaps that is because your first question is the, what do you want me to do, God, question. And because that's your first question, you feel a bit of a failure. It's become a bit of a drag. And so you've given up reading the Bible. I want to suggest that you ask this, this question first. What does it tell me about Jesus? What does it tell me about Jesus? Even the, the negative stories highlight the need for Jesus. Any good hero is just a picture of the great hero that is to come. Uh, and I would suggest that has the power. That question, that perspective has the power to transform the way you read the Bible. The Bible, you should read it because in it is contained God's words of revelation. In it is contained his wise words for salvation. And then lastly, uh, in the Bible is contained God's useful words for transformation. And we see that there uh, in verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, uh, and training in righteousness. It's useful for teaching, useful for teaching us what God is really like, um, how we should relate to him. Um, it's how we, what it looks like if we are a follower of Jesus to take up your cross and follow him. 
Uh, in the Bible, we have words uh, that are, will helpfully rebuke us, will show us how we're living in ways that, that offend God and are, are hurtful to other people. Uh, it will convince us of our guilt, but then we'll also come behind that and comfort us with God's mercy. Uh, it will correct and train us. It will say, that's good. What you're doing is good. Now try this. Okay, that's better. Now try this. It will train us, shape us. Verse 17, what's the goal? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so reading the Bible's good, studying the Bible's good, but it's not enough. It's not enough because the goal of Scripture, the goal of Scripture is that we would be equipped to live it out, to live it out. God has no desire that we have big fat heads filled with lots of Bible trivia. He wants us to be joyful, obedient people. That is the goal of Scripture. Uh, And this is something I think we struggle a little bit with, especially in the West here. Um, I think we are trained from a very young age to read a book for only one of two reasons, right? Uh, We are trained either to read a book for information. Just get that information, uh, know it, so that you can sort of splurge it out on a test and pass the test, okay? So you read for information or you read for entertainment, Uh, And if you're an introvert, and I know there's some introverts here, that's like a movie, only better, isn't it? Because there's not annoying people around to spoil it on you, right? So so we read generally, we'll we'll read for only one of those two reasons. We'll read for, for information or entertainment. But what we are given the Bible for is to read for transformation. That we would be changed. We'd be changed by reading it. Um... The the New Testament uh, scholar, um, Joel Green, puts it like this. Reading the scripture should be an exercise in our submission to God. We don't read simply for information, but also for formation. We read so the scriptures will shape us to be more and more like Christ. I think that's a really brilliant description. God has given us his word so that we would be shaped in how we live. And so it's not enough to read the Bible. It's not enough just to to meet uh, in home groups and know a bit more of the Bible, uh, to take up a Bible challenge and read it all through just so that you know more. That is not enough. That is not the goal. The goal of Scripture is that we are captured in our imagination, that our affections are changed so that our priorities are reordered so that we not just believe the right thing but live the right way but live the right way and so scripture has the power it has the power remember God's word is powerful God simply spoke and the universe was made Uh, Eugene Peterson when he was talking about uh, translating the, 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 the message paraphrase of the Bible said it was like trying to do some rewiring with the power still switched on. It's scary and dangerous business handling the Bible because it's powerful. And so as we read Scripture, it has the power 
to give you the wisdom that you need to make the tough choices in life. It has the power to give you uh, uh, the sufficient reminder you need and perspective you need to handle the suffering that will inevitably come in your life. It is what we need um, to have the resources to humble us. Naturally, we, are, we think lots of ourselves. Scripture has the power to humble us enough so that we can treat other people who hurt us with kindness. Scripture has the power to challenge and inspire us to great acts of courage, to share the good news about Jesus with others, to care for the poor, to pray for the sick, and to welcome the stranger. God's word can really change us. Yes, there's more involved in that. We'll come back to what else is involved in us being changed later. But here's where we start. Here's where we start with God's word. Because God has spoken. He has spoken. And through scripture, he continues to speak by his spirit to us. What we have here are God's words of revelation. But also we, in this book, have God's words of salvation that can make us wise, show us our real need, point us again and again to the glory and the goodness of the Lord Jesus. And these words are powerful to transform us, to transform us, uh, to capture our imagination, to reorder our affections, to reset our priorities, to transform our lives. And so the big question we have is, are you going to open this book Are you going to read it? And are you going to listen to it? Or not? Ultimately, the choice is yours. Let me pray.